It's like I'm going to be the new uh, Andy Kaufman. So my karate instructor's like, dude, you give him my school a bad name. Talking about how your wife's whooping your ass weekly in your kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> going forward, I will be taking on any challenge from any housewife out there listening. <laughs> <laughs> Showtime. Welcome to Breaking Vinyl. I'm your host, Dez, aka Johnny 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 And as always, I'm joined by my three co-hosts. First up, the podcaster coming through in high fidelity. Evil Ed. How do Des? How do everybody? I do good. And the podcaster playing the deep cuts. Dangerous Dave. Hey, hey, hey. And last but not least, podcaster with a dangerous haircut and a degree in rock and roll. Beaconstein. Oh, just put the crickets in today. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, Fee, how often do you have to shave your head to keep it so shiny and smooth? Every other day. Do you condition that dome? <laughs> <laughs> I leave it up. Okay. Okay. I'm in fucking rare form today. Um, as always, the mission of this show is for us to introduce each other and you, the listeners, to albums and bands which you may never have heard before, while also discussing the classics. And on occasion, we will ruthlessly insult each other's musical taste. So sit back and enjoy the show. Tonight, we will be discussing Get Your Wings, the second studio album by the great Aerosmith, produced by Jack Douglas, released on March 15th of 1974. Hmm, surprisingly, these drums don't sound like garbage cans. By Columbia Records, the album peaked at the number 74 spot on the Billboard 200. A little high on the 200. I would have guessed this one would have come in top 10. I was surprised when I saw 74. Like I thought season of wither or, um, uh, the, the, the first track What's first track. Same, same old song, song and dance. Same old song and dance. Yeah. I figured one of these would be like top 10 minimum. Right. Uh, band's lineup was as follows. The great Steven Tyler on lead vocals, acoustic guitar, piano, harmonica, percussion, Joe Perry, rhythm guitar, 12-string guitar, acoustic guitar, slide guitar, backing vocals, lead guitar, um, on Women of the World and Pandora's Box. Brad Whitford, rhythm guitar, lead guitar, on Spaced and Sons of Wither, uh, Seasons of Wither, <clears throat> and Tom Hamilton on bass guitar, Joey Kramer on drums, percussion, backing vocals, and additional musicians, Steve Hunter, lead guitar on Train Kept Rolling, first half, Dick Wagner, lead guitar on Train, kept the rolling, second half, and same old song and dance. That was a mouthful. I hope it wasn't confusing. Sounded a little confusing, but you'll figure it out. Uh, let's do some band facts on this one. Fact number one, this is not Aerosmith's best album. That's a fact. Uh, Dave, what do you got on this? Well, as well as a standard stereo release, this album was released in Quadraphonic, 
mm. which uh, back in the 70s, that was a, you know, four speaker setup instead of a two speaker standard stereo setup. Um, and, and it sounded really interesting. Amazingly, if you go look it up on YouTube, you can actually find that. And it's a, uh, you know, kind of a different mix. The guitars are, are way more prominent, a um, little, little crispier. And uh, yeah, check it out if you're interested. Uh, number two, uh, Lord of the Thighs was the last song written for this album. Uh, Steven Tyler explains the song lyrics came from a CD area where we recorded the album. That was New York City. Uh, Lord of the Thighs was about a pimp and the wildlife out on the street. And the title was a pun on the famous William Golding novel, Lord of the Flies. Nice. Those are some dirty lyrics. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I got a couple more. The uh, cover of Train Kept a Rollin' was previously made popular by one of Aerosmith's favorite bands, the Yardbirds. And uh, finally, in late 2002, I played the Joe Perry guitar in Draw the Line, the Boston-based, officially sanctioned Aerosmith tribute band. I got the opportunity. Yeah, I got the opportunity to tour to places like New Jersey, New Orleans, New Mexico, Texas, Nashville, North Carolina, Minnesota, and North Dakota. And of course, we played Boston a couple of times. Yeah, great. Who who did you play in the band? I was Joe Perry. Good for you. Uh, who does that now? That's name is um, can't remember. Uh, I think his name is Gino something. Gino, yes, it's yeah. Gino. Yeah, I, I've um, never met him, but but yeah, yeah, I've uh, known him from the past from the uh, Charlestown rehearsal days. Um, cool. If you get a chance, you're not from Boston, you don't know what we're talking about. So this is like the premier Aerosmith cover band here in Boston. Like these guys, it's the next best thing to actually seeing Aerosmith. Like it's bizarre. The singer. Looks like if you saw this guy walking it's around, ridiculous. Run, yeah, you would run up and be like, Hey, can I get your autograph, Steven Tyler? Like, this guy looks exactly like exactly that, like Steven that, Tyler. Okay, that actually happened in New Orleans. We there was people coming up to him for his autograph. That's awesome, man. I never <laughs> oh, knew yeah. that, Dave. What a cool, what a cool gig, and what a neat thing to know. I'd be bragging all over that if I did it. <laughs> yeah, it was um, good times. That's funny. I, there's a uh. A Guns N' Roses tribute band in Boston called um, oh, I can't remember, but they're like the the version of that. But Guns N' Roses, they wanted me to be the Izzy Stradlin, and I just said I I can't because I can't leave my house. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Ed, what do you got? Uh, Dave, before that, uh, who who was on bass when you were playing in it? Was it Craig? Uh, I think it was a guy named John. Oh, okay. I forget his last name. Uh, long blonde hair. Okay, Dave, was Jimmy playing uh, rhythm guitar? It was, yeah, Jim, Jim Dennis. I think. Yeah, he's a painter, <laughs> just like me. Yeah, I, don't, I don't, I don't know what his day gig is, but yeah, yeah, we yeah. got along good. Yeah, he's a good guy. Yeah. All right. Uh, so some facts. Uh, Aerosmith is the best-selling American hard rock band of all time, having sold more than a hundred fifty million records worldwide, including over 85 million records in the U.S., with 25 gold, 18 platinum, and 12 multi-platinum albums. They wow. hold the record for the most total certifications by an American group and are tied for the most multi multi-platinum albums by an American group. Uh, they have achieved 21 top 40 hits in the U.S. Hot 100, nine number one mainstream rock hits, 
four Grammy Awards, six American Music Awards, and 10 MTV Music Awards for what are quite possibly some of the worst videos ever. <laughs> wow. That's a lot. That's a lot of business. <laughs> Doing business. <laughs> yeah, go figure. A lot of their success came off all their later albums. Yeah. Uh, and yes, I did get lazy and just, I did a couple different websites, but it, I don't know if it was just because my location's on. I just kept getting funneled to all the generic stuff that's local here in Boston about Aerosmith and I had to go to uh, Wikipedia and just say, you know what, at least they have some variation of information. Um, so I got uh, <clears throat> one more, but uh, I didn't want to take anything from Fee. So, All right. <laughs> All right. Go, go right ahead. <laughs> All right. Uh, this is kind of like the old uh, how they came about. Uh, 1964, Steven Tyler formed his own band called Strangers. Spelt as if Dez spelled it, S T R A N G E U R S. Yes, he consulted me on the name. <laughs> uh, later, chain reaction, and they were based in Yonkers, New York. At the same time, Perry and Hamilton formed the jam band, commonly known as Joe Perry's Jam Band, uh, which was based on freeform blues. Uh, Hamilton and Perry moved to Boston in September of '69. They met, there they met uh, Joey Kramer. He was a drummer from Yonkers who was attending Berkeley College of Music. And he decided to leave school and join the jam band. Uh, the band moved in together and kind of the rest is history. There was yeah. another guitar player at the time, but I forgot to write it down. <laughs> what I understand, they used to uh, play parties yeah. in a big red barn in... Woburn, maybe? Or New Hampshire? I know a lot of people are like, I used to see them play back in... <laughs> no. I don't know. They, they, had a, they had a building in Woburn that they rented out that was okay. like their uh, headquarters and, and jam space and recording space. And they had office for their uh, fan club and stuff like that that they kept for years in like 70s into the 80s. Cool. Because everybody I know from that area was like, oh, I used to party with Aerosmith and Wolverine. Yeah, like, oh, sure, yeah and, and, you know, typical personal interactions. I'm pretty sure we've all met Yes, at least one member of the band. Because uh, Lord knows I've run into Steven Tyler probably 25 times over the course of my life. Of course. Uh, and he has always been fantastic to interact with. Absolutely a person's person. Just a happy-go-lucky guy. Um, and, uh, uh, Des, so when I was doing that country thing with Steve Sweeney, yes, we would rehearse at his office, uh, mm -hmm. in the stockroom and yep. the building behind us just so happened to be where Aerosmith kept all their gear. Okay. <laughs> and it was right as they were, uh, leaving, uh, before COVID to do uh, a residency. So it was, it was kind of funny because I'm like, holy crap, I go to pull in the parking lot. And there had to be, I don't know, at least four 18-wheelers loading up all their gear. <laughs> it was nice. crazy. Nice. <laughs> um, so you met Joe Clapp, yeah? Oh, yeah. 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 So um, what I'm going to talk about in the uh, in the Clapp, we did a uh, album down at Sound uh whatever his studio was called down there yeah, in yeah. Hanover. Yeah. Um, great guy. Great guy. Oh, super great guy. Yeah. Great studio, too. I like yeah. his studio. Yeah, and we ended up recording a song there for a uh, complimentary album that, yeah. that we'll 
discuss some feet. What do you got? Anything good? Uh, maybe. I don't know. Um, I, I, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> one fact, I've never met anyone from Aerosmith that I can remember. If I had, I was not sober enough to recall the, the interaction. So I love the story. Uh, yeah, thanks. Yeah, it's colorful, right? Um, <laughs> uh, Dave, that's pretty fucking cool that you were uh, Joe Perry in, in Draw the Line because apparently Joe Perry wasn't even Joe Perry for all of this album here, so mm -hmm. um, which I'm sure we'll we'll get into during some of the tracks on the album, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, so I always find myself looking for connections to like other things that we talked about on the show. And... Um, <clears throat> And maybe I, I hope I read this correctly, but Jack Douglas, the producer, was basically picked by Bob Ezrin. Is that correct? To uh, to do the you know to work with these guys, and thank fucking God that relationship worked out, you know. And yeah. uh, Bob Ezrin is from the uh, Alice Cooper range of of albums that you guys fucking blow your loads over. Yeah. So. Um, <laughs> which I thought was pretty cool, which is a pretty cool tie. I'm always kind of looking for those, you know, reading about the like, you know, the the writing notes and the recording notes and stuff like that. And I was pretty blown away that that Joe Perry uh, did not play lead on all of the, all, you know, at least on all of the solos and stuff on the album. I was kind of like, wow. Yeah. And uh, there's some pretty, pretty interesting read from Jack Douglas in the recording notes that talks about how these guys wanted to be like Eric Clapton and play those like Jeff Beck type solos and stuff. And they just weren't there. They didn't have the chops yet. But after touring, after learning these solos from the hired guns in, in touring, they were there, you know? Yep. Yeah. Fee, I love that you said that because that, everything you just said is going to come into play of my review of this album. It's Aerosmith. Yeah. All right, let's do our opening thoughts. So obviously I love yeah. Aerosmith and I love, this album, I mean, but I love parts of this album. And the band is clearly not refined yet at the recording of this album. None of them. Steven Tyler, you can tell it's Steven Tyler, but this is not the Steven Tyler that I have fallen in love with over the years. He's missing his tricks. He's missing his shine. He's missing what makes Steven Tyler one of the greatest rock singers of all time. He's missing some of the range. He's missing a lot of the harmonies. He's missing the confidence that he brings to hit songs that we'll hear later in Aerosmith's career. It's still great, but it's not their best album. Dave, what do you got? Yeah, they they don't have that polish quite yet. Um, I've I've heard the album before. Uh, I didn't hear it originally since it came out before I was born, uh, but I probably got this one in the early two thousands when I was you know building up my CD collection and and buying some of the back catalog. Uh, but yeah, like like the dirt of it, you know, it's it's a good solid album. Yeah, mostly. Ed. Yeah, I heard this before. Uh... You know, thanks to friends, older siblings, because uh, I was born right around this time. Uh, yeah, see, I have a different opinion, Des, completely opposite of yours, where I kind of, knowing what Aerosmith became, to hear how it began, and to learn that, okay, yeah, they didn't have the chops for this album. I was okay with that, because I think people people have the wrong idea of it's okay if someone else plays on your album or yeah. plays your recorded stuff or you sub it out to someone for a track because, you know, it's, it's part of the creative process in my opinion. 
And I think people, I think that's the big, like, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain moment, where once people start to realize that is everywhere. You know, I mean, look at the guys from Toto. I mean, they were on almost every 80s music album. They were the studio guys that played it. Right. You know, you go back and you have even more just studio musician groups where all they did was these were studio guys for everybody. Yep. And then the bands would go out and tour and they would play those songs the way they were recorded. So to see that this is the early phases and and you get the little glimpses of what's to come, and to, to, it's almost like watching the learning process happen. And that's kind of what I loved about this album. Yeah. So one of the, you know, it wasn't so much the player's chops not being like kind of what I'm used to with Aerosmith that bothered me so much on this. It was more the incomplete writing of the songs and the sort of demo version feel of the songs where they just didn't quite lock onto the hooks or the arrangements the way they, I'm used to them doing where it's like, oh my God, this is just perfectly written, you know? Had a little bit of a demo jam feel to it, which is fine. I mean, it's a fucking super sleazy, dirty, cool That's what I love. street yeah. album. It's fine. Yep. But it's not fucking Toys in the Attic. Fee, what do you got? Yeah, you know, when I was reading up on this too, one of the things I read was that uh, there was a little backlash from the, you know, from the public on this because Steven Tyler's voice had changed from the first album and that was part of the production, you know? And when I went back and listened to Aerosmith's, you know, self-titled debut, yeah, you can hear it. Like there is, a, there's very much a change. And, you know, you got to credit Jack Douglas for starting him on that process of finding his voice and being his, you know, so, and you can hear that come through on parts of this album, but not all of the album. Right. Um, either way, I've heard the album. I had it on cassette back in the, you know, you know, like probably like late eighties um, and love it i absolutely love this album i think it's fantastic yeah i mean there's three tracks in particular that you can hear what he's going to become you know same old song and dance um yep. season of weather and train kept rolling i mean you can hear aerosmith at all three of those songs like okay this is the aerosmith that i know yeah but, yep. but it wasn't sustainable for the entire album they just didn't have it together and i even think that all three of those songs could probably like if they did them like you know 20 years ago whatever i'm trying to think of like a refined version of aerosmith i think they probably would have been even better songs but they're fine the way they are yeah oh uh, okay let's slide into the fast five i got a good one today boys and you have all been privy to the information for the first time so you could all do a little research on these i hope it wasn't too much work for you number one i will give you two guitar solos and you will tell me which one is better in your opinion, and then I will tell you which one is the right answer. Okay. <laughs> your opinion is the only one that matters. <laughs> I love Dave. Dave. Right. Okay. Uh, number one, Crazy Train by Randy Rhodes or Beat It by Eddie Van Halen. Dave, which is the better solo? Well, I prefer Beat It, uh, Eddie Van Halen, but I'd have to go with uh, Randy Rhodes because it is more put together and not uh, improvised like we know Eddie's was. Uh, so it's Randy Rhodes. Okay. And Ed. Yeah, I love Eddie Van Halen, but in that solo and beat it, but Crazy Train, Randy Rhodes solo in that song is monstrous. 100% Randy Rhodes. 100%. Envy. 
Why do I feel like I'm going to go against everybody today on all <laughs> five of these? <laughs> Look, I'm going with Eddie and beat it. I don't care. I like it better. Um, let's just say it was a tie because they're both great guitar solos. The fact that uh, Randy Solo <laughs> is over Crazy Train and fucking Eddie's is over beat it. The correct answer is Crazy Train, Randy Rhodes. You're wrong, V. Okay. Number two, Prince's Purple Rain. Or Slash's Sweet Child of Mine. Dave, which solo was better? Uh, they're both great, but I'm going with Prince Purple Rain. And Ed, which solo was better? Uh, Prince Purple Rain. Slash, very few guitar players can even compete with Prince's guitar playing. And Fee. See, I, I wrote this one as a tie at first, but my favorite of the songs is Prince's Purple Rain, so I'm going with Prince. Uh, have you seen him do that guitar solo with Tom Petty where he just goes yes. fucking berserk? Oh. Oh. <laughs> so I agree. So I so agree good. with you guys that Prince, one of the most underrated, wonderful fucking guitar players of all time. But come on, it's Slash, sweet child of mine. He no. fucking destroys that soul. Not even close. All right. Listen, you guys are all wrong. Next, <laughs> Freebird, Alan Collins, or Hotel California. Joe Walsh. And I understand that this is a split solo for um, the Eagles, but I'm just crediting Joe Walsh. So it is kind of an, a lopsided battle since it's one man versus two, but let's just break it down as if it's head to head. Dave, what do you got? Yep. Going with Hotel California. Can't stand Freebird. And Ed. Joe Walsh. I was not a fan of Joe Walsh till I saw the Eagles live, and now I'm obsessed with Joe Walsh's guitar playing. And feet. Same, same. Yeah, because I saw it live and how amazing that sounded. Hotel California. <laughs> no, 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 no. The correct answer is Freebird. It's okay, guys. You'll be okay. Uh, number four, Comfortably Numb, David Gilmore. Or Stairway to Heaven, Jimmy Page. Yeah. Dave. Stairway. <laughs> and Ed. Uh, God, Jimmy Page just annoys the shit out of me. I'm going with David Gilmore, comfortably numb. Fee. I listened to these twice. It's Gilmore. Man, this one is so fucking hard because that fucking guitar solo for comfortably numb is so melodic. It is like, it's like one of the, like, it's fucking guitar, air guitar heaven. But... It pains me to say the correct answer is Stairway to Heaven. It's just, oh, he goes off. He goes off. It's fucking amazing. Very close. Very close. Correct answer is Stairway to Heaven. That's Number right. five. So this one I did kind of like, I wanted to do a foil. Like I wanted to put a super melodic solo up against a speedy, like technique solo. So this is going to be Richie Blackmore. Or Mark Knopfler. So it's going to be Blackmore for um, Highway Star or Knopfler for Sultan of Swing. Dave, which is the better guitar solo? Sultan's of Swing, Mark Knopfler. Ed. Yeah, this is a tough one for me because I love Highway Star. But I think there's a lot of keyboard too much keyboard over the solo that kind of like blurs it a little for me and Mark Knopfler 
is a guitar player's guitar player, guitar player. I mean, mm-hmm. monster. Sultan's a swing. And Fee. You're all wrong. It's Highway Star. Oh, dude. <laughs> hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Step into my office for a second. I'm going to shut the door, guys. You don't want to hear this. You're right, son of a bitch. You're, right. You're wrong, okay? The right answer is salt in a swing. I mean, is Highway Star uh, a fast? No, yeah. But when when you can beat a solo that's that fast just with pure melody and fucking... Yeah, it's a magical guitar solo, salt and, and swing, and finger picked, and yes, oh, not regular picked. Yeah, yes. So <laughs> yeah. what I've been working on now, like my big thing, is um, hybrid picking, where I'm picking with my two fingers and then trying to separate my thumb from my bottom three fingers, so I can play. You know, it's very difficult. I mean, I've been playing guitar since the dinosaurs were around, and I'm, I'm struggling mightily with this, but. I'm learning some neat stuff, some of these ZZ Top fucking songs, and yeah, it's definitely adding a little something to my repertoire. All right, boys. I think that was a successful successful uh, segment. I took a gummy. It's starting to kick in. Fast five. Uh-oh. <laughs> it's starting to kick in. Fee. We had a lovely write-in from our good friend Seamus, who always takes the time to listen to the show and send in bonus track picks because the rest of our listeners are lazy. Get up, do something. And he wrote in, he had some uh, thoughts on the album that we did and the bonus track. So, Pete, will you please just quickly read the mail? Yeah, yeah, Seamus. Uh, thanks for writing in, man. I, I I enjoy reading the comments that we get. We don't get a ton of them, but they're pretty fucking cool, the ones that come in. And uh, yeah, he starts with this album, Better Than Nothing Shocking. Not yes, a chance. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> okay. And I don't know. But, um, but as far as CJ's song, the bonus track that he submitted, um, he said he didn't submit it because he thought it was earth-shaking or groundbreaking, but it's a fun song. It's good listen on a drive. Um, as is the entire CD. Um, and then he, he says he's pretty sure, 99% sure that CJ played all the instruments on the song and the record is DIY, like self-produced. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he said he was guessing that none of us are familiar with a band called The Wild Hearts, um, but they're huge at home where Seamus is from in England. Um, and he's watched a few recent interviews with CJ and describes Butterfingers as a reminiscence of his career starting out before creating the Wild Hearts with Ginger, who did a spell with the uh, Choir Boys and London Choir Boys. Um, and he says the Wild Hearts being maybe the biggest dysfunction, dysfunctional band in rock history, break, breaking up and reforming many times. So I'm going to have to check these guys out. Like, I love mm. dysfunction. So, you know. Yeah. Um, and then... Uh, yeah, so so uh, he says we should check out CJ's "Give the Dog a Bone." Um, and that one's probably about Ginger from the the other bands, and um, yeah, and uh, you know he asked if anyone was going to uh, check out the Junkyard show that apparently got canceled. So that's kind of a bummer. Uh, you you know we had write, written back to to Seamus thanking him for his comments, and he's like, "Yeah, I have a big mouth and the opinions to go with it." Uh, and he was glad that he found the podcast via Pat Mazingo. Uh, always good to hear what others think about music compared to your own opinion. So awesome. love the attitude, love the opinions, keep them fucking coming. Yeah, Seamus is a great guy, man. Um, so totally. he's from England. I always imagined he was like, <laughs> like 
in the dark pubs of Ireland. Like I could see famous uh, Seamus like mm -hmm. fighting his way out of a pub with like a full glass of Guinness, like bashing off heads as he goes through the pub. I don't know. <laughs> from Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit. I don't know why I thought like in one of the communications back and forth with him, I thought he said he was from Ohio. <laughs> oh the the legend of Seamus, nobody knows. Nobody oh, knows. Awesome. Yeah, the, totally the appreciate the it. Thank you, Seamus. Yeah. Seamus, can you give us your origin story like a superhero? Like I gotta know the origin story of Seamus. I gotta know. I fell to earth in a meteorite. <laughs> he was brewed in a in an Irish uh, brewery. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> Same old song again. Okay, so the album opens with this iconic guitar riff panned hard left that is instantly recognizable and joined by a equally amazing guitar track panned right. Steven Tyler's lyrics check every single box for me on this track. They're so fucking good. They're delivered so raw, so hungry. And this is one of the instances on the album where the lack of shine and polish actually works. Uh, it's a dirty vocal from Steven Tyler. I love it. And of course, the rest of the band is on fire in this one. It's a great opening track. Dave, what do you got? Well, opens with, uh, yeah, Joe Perry's killer guitar sound. It's a great bluesy shuffle uh, with some nice wah-wah pedal accents. Uh, so this is one of the ones that uh, the guys don't play the solo on. Uh, Dick Wagner of uh, Alice Cooper Band and Lou Reed Band fame uh, plays the guitar solo. Uh, at the uh, a suggestion of producer Jack Douglas, the Brecker brothers played horns uh, to bring out that, uh, you know, R&B kind of blues side of the band. Uh, the sax solo is Michael Brecker. Nice. Uh, this song remained in their set list for years, often ended by an extended Tom Hamilton bass solo. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, I liked a little bit of horns and piano sprinkled through this album. Very cool. Uh, Ed, what do you got? Yeah, I agree, Des. The horns were great um, throughout, you know, where they threw it in here and there, but the song especially. Yeah, the, the opening to the song, it's just an, it's an instant groove. You literally start moving from the very first note and I didn't hear this until, or I don't remember hearing this until probably early to mid eighties. And it was after I had heard Van Halen and yeah. I swear to God, I heard this and thought this was David Lee Roth singing when I first heard it, like oh. old David Lee Roth where it's a lower register because I wasn't used to hearing Steven Tyler in his lower register. Right. Like everything I had heard after that were later albums because it was, you know, in the 80s at that point. Um, so it kind of took me by surprise. And that kind of is what sent me down the hole originally. Uh, but Tyler, his flow to his lyrics and melody, it's second to none. And you can see how he's just starting to get. He's like, it's right at the tipping point of, OK, next step is infinite, you know, because yep. <clears throat> it is there. Yeah, it, I don't even know how to describe it with words. It's just so good. Uh, and then the way the guitars work off each other, throwing Hamilton and Kramer holding down the beat, the left, right with the guitars really isolates who's playing what and adds so much diversity to the music. I just, it's a great, great song. 
Yeah, and Steven Tyler uses his voice like an instrument. I mean, nowadays totally. you're hearing, you know, 10 tracks of vocals, but feathered together perfectly where it's not overwhelming or crowded. And it just creates this thick wall of amazing melody and groove and just wow. And on this album, we're getting a very rare glimpse of Steven Tyler with almost a single track of vocals. Yeah. And it's it's different. So I appreciate it. It's fun. Yeah. Hey, got yeah you know uh, that here's one thing i worry about obviously like i saw the black crows twice last weekend and i love the crows and they were supposed to be opening up for aerosmith does anybody know is that going to ever be happening is aerosmith going to go back out or oh they all died of old age yesterday (laughs) (laughs) i thought they died of old age like 25 years ago but i actually just watched a uh, Um, concert they did not too long ago and they're still fucking really good i mean new drummer but really good yeah no, but one of the things I worry about, because, you know, obviously for me, I, I, I go to a lot of shows and I love live music and I love jam style songs, you know, jam band style songs. And Aerosmith does a lot of those and the Black Crows do a lot of those. But one thing I worry about is, does Steven still have the chops, you know, to do a song like where he uses his voice as an instrument more, you know, like yep. this one. So I don't know. Time no, he tell, does. I guess. He does. Oh, he does? Yeah, Still I just, at like I said, I just 97 watched, years old? Yes, yeah. I just right. watched a very recent show and I was really impressed. And Joe Perry was playing better than I think I've ever heard him play. So, awesome. yeah, yeah. They're seasoned, right. man. Then I'm excited. Get healthy, guys, and get back on the fucking road so I can see you. Hell um, yeah. Uh, total playlist. Total playlist. I love this song. Cool. All right, track two, Lord of the Thighs. So we open with this super janky version on drums of Walk This Way. It's like it's like the bizarro version of Walk This Way. It's like equally as uncatchy as Walk This Way is catchy. I do not like this fucking drum beat in the beginning. Um, I, I appreciate the song. It's cool. It has some clever vocal harmonies and some decent music grooves. But this is not a complete hit song for me, which is a shame because the skeleton of the song is so cool, but it comes in and out of focus. And this is not the amazing Steven Tyler vocal I've come you know, to know. And it's a great idea, but it's just not refined into the hit song that it should have been. Dave, you got yeah, it's not a hit song, uh, but it's a great album track. Uh, Joey Kramer played with a lot of funk and R&B bands before he was with Aerosmith. Um, the the beat is similar uh, to what we'd hear on Walk This Way from the next album. Uh, great drum sound. Guitar, bass, and piano are all laying down the rhythm. Guitars sound good. And uh, I love that vintage echo on the right side guitar. Uh, Steven Tyler is actually playing the piano part. And let's see, we hear some phaser effect on Joe Perry's rhythm guitar, and we hear some slide guitar appearing in the bridge. The re- the echo reappears during the guitar solo. Nice. Uh, after the next chorus, we hear a really funky rhythm and then some atmospheric guitar soloing. This is where Slash got his Rocket Queen solo from. Oh, wow. Uh, well, I I would imagine, just from the sound, okay. if you listen oh. to it, okay. you... you and you know Slash is a huge, huge yes. Aerosmith fan, and yes. and it sounds a lot like, you know, the vibe of what he was doing in Rocket Queen. Totally, so. it sounds like something you probably read. Like, I, if you said Slash, you know, <laughs> trivia, I would be like, oh, okay, yeah, for sure. Yeah, cool. no, I'm 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 just guessing, but gotcha. You know, 
uh, song ends on a fade out. But if if you check out, um, you know, like their live albums, like Live Bootleg or something like that, they sort of, uh, you know, develop the song a little more and, and they kind of stretch out on it a little bit. It's not quite as stiff as you right. hear it on this album. Cool. Cool. I'll look for that because I do love the song. Ed. Yeah, the drums open with a solid beat, but yeah, you can hear it's <clears throat> it's the beginning of Walk This Way, essentially, before yeah. it came out. Uh, but then that bouncing note with the guitar stuttering in the quick piano, I think it's, it's, it's nice because it's so opposite of what the previous song was. We're all saying like, okay, they're not just going to try to repeat a good song. They're going to have different styles of songs, and I love that about this song. Uh, and I think the significance of that little piano where they bring it up right at that one point where it really is prominent, um, you know, for the transition, I think it just, it, it changes how I hear the song. Um, I just, I love the song. I think it's a great song. I think the ending is way too long, but I do like that. They once again, change the groove, you know, but yeah. it's like a minute outro and I'm like, no. Please stop, <laughs> dude. So I took that gummy. And I'm looking at Dave. I'm looking at Dave's screen, right? And I'm looking at the fucking unicorn picture behind him. And there's like this red pulsing dot at its tail. I'm like, wow, that's cool. I'm like, I wonder if that painting like has a battery. And I'm like, holy shit, that's the recording thing on my fucking computer saying that he's recording. And I was like. Oh I was my like, oh shit. God. Totally. How much <laughs> I don't even want to know how big that edible was. Would you take a handful? Yeah. No, right. it's just I was looking at it. I'm like, that's so cool. I'm like, it's got a red blinking light on it. Pete, what do you got? I think we should do an all edible show next week. I don't know. I'm just feeling it right now. But uh, uh, Dave, have you ever taken an edible? Um, actually I was gonna mention I at, at the suggestion of uh <laughs> Your your guys is talking about it. I I gave it a shot, and uh, <laughs> and and uh, nice. yeah. So I started experimenting, and uh, yeah, I got the little two point fives and okay. Oh, those you know, are awesome! Perfect. Yeah, I haven't really felt much, but you know, if I if I double up on them, you know, start to feel a little something. So you know, we're seeing how it goes. Nice. There you go. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm taking them like I take like a five at a time and I'll do like maybe two fives in a day. Sometimes like a two fives and like a little sliver off another one later at night just to tip it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It's yeah I, I, I actually take the two point fives uh, at the end of the day and then before I go to bed because it helps. I get a I get a lot of joint pain and stuff and it instantly the two point fives are perfect to relieve the joint pain and it's awesome. One of the biggest benefits I found from the gummies is I am sleeping a lot better than I used to. Like I'm not waking up a million times during the night. Yeah. As we turn into an old man show. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) I was, I was joking last night. I'm like, when I take the fucking gummy and I drink it with coffee, it's like back in the day when I used to fucking do Coke and fucking, you know, fucking drink whiskey. I'm like, ah, little high, little low. There you go. I take nice. a gummy and then I don't <laughs> snore at night. There you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah two point five is nice to manage, like you know, anxiety and just joint pain. But if you yeah, want to party, get you high. 
Yeah. yeah. You want to party, yeah. fucking double down, baby. Okay. I think we yeah, found our new podcast. Yeah. Yeah, let's do a gummy version. We'll do a uh, like a psychic. Maybe we'll do like Pink Floyd the Wall and we'll take gummies. <laughs> okay. Sounds uh, good. Fee, is it your turn? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I absolutely love this song. I I uh I love the way that intro builds up and you know, kind of each of the instruments kind of gets a little bit stronger as it goes in. It's so and then into that smooth fucking beat during the during the uh Gosh, why can't I think of the word? But um, during the verse, you know, uh, so good. So good. Um, I just, I love this. I love that every song seems to kind of have a bunch of little solos and bridges in there. I, I love it. I love that they jam out a lot. Ed, yeah. I figured for sure on this album, you're going to hear, we're going to hear a lot of songs too long, songs too long, songs too long. So uh, either way, total playlist for me. I love this song. You're kind of talking me up here a little bit because you know what you said about, you know, all these little sections and parts and, and then Ed was just saying, you know, they're changing track to track and, and, you know, we've done a couple of kind of stiff albums like the cult and, you know, this, this, uh, biters or whatever it was, you know, good albums, but they started feeling a little like, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Can you, have you guys ever seen the movie over the edge with Matt Dillon where they all or they hang out in the rec hall and they take over this like little shit town they live in? Oh yeah. 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 I don't think so, so. You put this song Lord of the Flies over like a scene from that movie. I'm popping wood, baby. Yeah. You mean Lord of the Thighs? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> what did I say? Lord of the Flies. I like that version better. Okay. <laughs> uh, let's go on to track three. Oh, oh Fee, were you done? I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Okay. Drinking a big bottle of piss again this morning? Yep, you know it. It's not going to save your liver, just so you know. My uncle's like, ah, for that, like 20 years, he's like, ah, but I drink my liter of vodka with orange juice. It's good for you. It's like a smoothie. I'm like, no, it's not. It's destroying your liver. Right? So, just so you know, just because you're mixing it with orange juice doesn't make it good for you. Let's take no. a boatload of sugar and alcohol yeah. and then add a boatload of citrus acid to it. Yeah, not good. Yeah. Not Sounds good. Okay, um, track number three, Spaced. Ooh, so this song feels like a demo version with shaky vocal ideas that would eventually become like a B-side complete Aerosmith song down the line. And the production on this song is so weird in a bad spinal tap sort of way. Not a good spinal tap, like a bad spinal tap. And for Aerosmith to accomplish that, I don't know what happened here. They're better than this. Dave, what do you got? Yeah, I kind of feel the same. Uh, This is a song written during the album sessions by Stephen and Joe. Uh, Starts with space sounds. Uh, It definitely has their their stamp of, of, you know, signature sound. Uh, Music is okay, but especially the lyrics seem underdeveloped. Uh, I did like the cool breakdown in the middle. Uh, end groove before and after the last verse is pretty cool and has some impressive guitar runs uh, but the ending seems weird and tacked on I, I didn't really like this one yeah dude i was watching the joe rogan fucking podcast and joe was telling how they get off a plane somewhere him and his buddy and they take two two 250 milligram gummies <laughs> dude is that a thing 
Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Some people take like a thousand. Holy shit, There's dude! A whole podcast about it. I oh. take a fucking. I take a five, and I'm like, oh man, I'm right on the edge. <laughs> I, like, how did I used to stay up all night doing eight balls and fucking taking mescaline and drinking whiskey and then going to sleep with a handful of Tylenol PMs? And I was like, ah, it's cool. We've only been going for three days. We're good to go. And now I take a fucking, I take a five gummy. And I'm like, I don't know, man. I think I'm taking this Dude, too far. You got, you got to listen to the Joey Diaz podcast. Yeah. He like surprises people by not telling them and then slipping them like a 300 milligram edible. <laughs> oh, shit. No, no, you can't do that to it's somebody. Awesome. You can't do that to somebody. I Joey would Diaz out. eats 500 milligram edibles like it's, it's, yeah. Like just candy, just pops them and pops them. That's Holy who I was talking shit. about. Yeah, Joey wow. Diaz is unbelievable. Uncle Joey. Okay, okay. Uncle Joey, never do that to me if we meet. Ed, talk about talk about it. <laughs> Spaced. Uh, yeah, the song is kind of a derivative of the experimental aspect of the seventies. Uh, and I'll give him credit. I'm assuming the band was trying to experiment with that whole direction. And, you know, again, it's three songs, three different ideas that do not sound anything like each other. Uh, so I'm not going to knock them for that. But, yeah, it's it's not a standout song. It's not very good, but I don't think it's that bad either. It's just it's not something I would listen to on purpose. Right. Like if it came on, I'd just be like, what the hell is this? All right. You know, because I think it has, like, when I first, when it, I was listening to it, instantly I got that, oh, this is kind of that, like, Bowie, Meatloaf, mid-70s experimental sound. Like, they were trying to go there, but not. Yeah. And, yeah, it just, it, it did nothing for me, so. But, you know, it was that little Bowie flair on it that kind of, like, made Gave it you kind of, yeah, it kind of twinkled in my eye a little bit. Yeah. But, Fee, what do you got? Well, I think if you're going to do like a 45 second, second intro of nothing, there better be something solid on the other side of it, you know? And, and that's where they kind of under-delivered. Like this song didn't really get into it for me until about the 220 mark when when the voice kind of kicked up a bit, the guitars kind of kicked up a oh, bit. Yeah. Um, but it was okay. Like it's a, it's a good song. It's just, it's not like compared to the last two. No, nah, not even close. Yeah. Fee, have you watched Trick or Treat yet? No. Will you please watch Trick or Treat? I want you to watch Trick or Treat. All right. I'm going to go on mute and I'm going to add it to my account right now. Okay. Trick or Treat. Watch the movie. You're really missing out, guy. Um, Track four. Fee, as an English teacher, am I saying woman of the world or women of the world? And what's the difference? Is is there an A-N at the end or an E-N at the end? Uh, E-N. If there's an E-N at the end, it's women. If there's an A-N at the end, it's woman. I would have guessed singular versus plural. I would have guessed guessed the opposite. I would have guessed it. It would be women with the E. No? E-N. E-N, plural. A-N, singular. What's plural and singular? Oh, more and less. More and one. Okay. (laughs) Wow. Oh, my God. Here we go. Okay. So, woman of the world. <clears throat> so, having the track with just the drums as the intro was a huge mistake here, in my opinion, because it makes this drum beat feel way too slow. Like, this thing kicked in, I'm like, 
is the is my record player broken? Like, what is going on here? It's like <laughs> I'm like, no, this is bad. Um, the the intro solo guitar sound, it's fucking terrible. It's dressed in way too much cheap reverb. This like this is one of these albums where it's like from song to song, you're getting this different production. Like you'll get this really great produced song, and then you'll get this complete trash production. And this is trash production. Um, it's missing the polish and the harmonies from Steven Tyler. I didn't like this vocal very much. And it feels like from a writing and execution standpoint, this is completely like an eight track demo of a song that would be produced up into something later down the line. Dave. I actually like this from the beginning. Uh, okay. Great, great drum groove, cool guitar licks. It sounds like Aerosmith to me. Hmm. Um, surprised they don't seem to play this one too much. Uh, the guitars calm down and let the drums groove before the lead vocal comes in. Great guitar breakdown in the middle with some overdubbed tom drums, followed right away with a nice bridge to the song, followed by more soloing, including a harmonica solo by Steven Tyler. Uh, According to my sources, uh, the first time it was played was on April 7th, 1974 at the Michigan Palace in Detroit, and the song was performed constantly during the mid-70s. So you guys didn't feel like that intro guitar, I mean, that intro drum beat was just like, didn't feel like almost like jarringly slow? No. No, I didn't think so. It's kind of like you're walking into the song, you know, it's it's walking you in there. You guys were like a fucking acapella group there with that no. No. (laughs) (laughs) Holy shit. All right. Uh, Ed, what do you got? Well, as usual, I find your opinion of music to be very limited and singularly focused. No. Uh, And considering all three of us agree with the opening of this song, it just kind of reaffirms that you have some bizarro thing happening in your brain. No. Uh, I think the the opening music just grabs you. It goes into a quick guitar solo and then breaks down when the vocals kick in. And at that point, I think the song has its talons in you. Talons? Yes, talons. The song has no talons? Totally. Totally does. (laughs) Everything about this song is what I love about Aerosmith. It changes continuously, but never loses the groove or flow. And that is, I think, what separates Aerosmith from a lot of other bands. It also has a shitload of emotion in it without being a ballad. And, and it just, it's something about it. I mean, honestly, again, Fee, the only negative I can say is it's too long. Oh, and, and does it also have great production? For the 70s? I'd give it good production for the no. 70s, absolutely. Did you even listen to this song? Yes. Oh my God. Have you listened to anything from the fucking seventies? Jesus Christ. You need to stop taking edibles. Your opinions get worse. Dude, you were telling me Triumph. You were telling me that they couldn't record good drums in the seventies from that Triumph album. And this sounds like it was recorded two decades later. No, I'm saying the Triumph album sounds like an early eighties recording. You're expecting it to sound like a fucking 2020 no, fucking 2024 no. what album. i'm saying is these drums are produced so much better than those drums on that triumph album those drums were garbage yeah. and you were saying you couldn't fucking get no, good that's, drum that's sounds a, at the time. that's a canada verse fucking u.s recording thing <laughs> oh shit now he's shitting on canada now he's shitting on canada Uh-oh. okay no 
You're the one who shouldn't care. I'm the one who loves fucking Triumph. But you said Canadians can't record good drums. No. You said they were bad drums. I never said they were bad drums. I love I Canada. Love the drums. I love Canada. I love <laughs> Triumph. I love everything about Triumph. Okay. Uh, but I it also, I think this song is significantly underrated, in my opinion. I, oh, it's definitely. I, I enjoyed the song. Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Pete, what do you got on this? Come on, man. You know that beat was too slow. Okay. And to our Canada audience, nice knowing you. Um, oh, no, um, fuck. I love this Boring. song. This is a total, total, total playlist for me. Um, the only thing I wish about it, like I found after I listened a couple times with the headset on, was that I wish the bass was a little more like funky or bluesier, you know? But other than that, this is this is a great fucking song. I absolutely love it. All right, so all three of you are wrong. That song sucks. So that <laughs> ends. B, just to, I want to double down on what B said with the bass. One thing, like Hamilton does a lot of where he'll mimic the guitars, but then also like just lace himself in and around them where you'll be like, oh, okay, the guitars and bass are playing the same thing. And then all of a sudden, Tom Hamilton throws his thing in and you're like, oh my God, that was so fucking badass. He's just, he's incredibly underrated bass player, in my opinion. He's got great <laughs> grooves. Um, but yeah, I, it, that is something I noticed on this. There were times where the bass was kind of in the background or wasn't what I would, what I expect from Tom Hamilton. But again, oh, for fuck's sake, Des. <laughs> well, I'm checking my eye. I'm checking my eye. Yeah. Is, is there a red flashing god in it? You'll yeah. see. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he just, I think it's a matter of, you know what's to come from Tom Hamilton. Uh, yeah. But you also notice on the albums, the, all of a sudden the bass will have this brightness to it, and they'll push it up in the mix, and it just really stands out. So I just wanted to give a quick shout out. Great bass, Bert. Great bass lines. Always. Cool. Always great bass lines. Uh Okay, Fee, did you talk about it? Too significant? Okay. Uh, so that ends side A of the podcast. If you are listening to us on vinyl, flip the show over. Take a look at my ass. Uh, last night I was in the bathroom and I screamed out, oh my God, and my wife came and she goes, what's wrong, what's wrong? And I had like a like a little blood thing in the right side of my eye on the white part. So I was sure that I had just had a brain hemorrhage or something horrible had happened. But I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. She what, said it was not the worry. How does about. everything go to the the extreme with you? <laughs> like, it's all it's everything. Got a little bloodshot eye because I took fucking six edibles. Or I think it was because I got I had a stroke. Out, yeah, got choked mm-hmm. out in karate. But whatever. She uh, she ended up <laughs> like telling me go to bed. I can't listen to you anymore. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> uh, so. Dave, have you heard of the album Boston Gets a Grip? It was a complimentary album that came out, I think, like, I want to say in the 90s. It had guys like, you know, Dave Hall from Fahrenheit, Joe Perry Project. Like, all big local bands uh, were on it. And I was a little gipper at the time, just getting, pretty much just getting started. I mean, just getting, starting to get good, you know, but still not great. Not like I'm great now, but whatever. (laughs) <laughs> uh, but I got an opportunity to record a song for this album and I'm on it. So it's, um, oh, nice. yeah, it's called Boston gets a grip. And, uh, the band did, uh, write me a letter. That was the song that we contributed to it. And it's funny. I go back and listen to it and it was recorded at Joe Clapp studio. 
And I go back and listen to it. And uh, man, I was just such a little fucking just so green and just not, you know what I mean? The whole band. And uh, I, Dave Hall played bass on that. Um, and he also played bass on the, uh, the whole album that we recorded down there. So Ed, like you said, when you can get a, a better player to come in and play on your album, your bass player sits on the sideline and watches and you're like, well, you can watch and you can go (laughs) home, but he's playing the bass. So, and yeah, the bass playing on that album we did is amazing. It's too good for the rest of the album. Yeah. And just to give a shout out to Joe Clapp, I believe his studio name is uh, Ultrasound Productions. Yes. Ultrasound Productions. Correct. Uh, Great guy. Great guy. And uh, yeah, the record release party was at Mamakin. It was a Christmas party and we got to go and we get to schmooze with Aerosmith and got to schmooze with Magic Dick. And what was cool was I had a harmonica with me and a gold paint pen. So I had Steven Tyler sign one side of the harmonica and I had Magic Dick, who you might know from Jay Giles band and whatnot, uh, harmonica player signed the other side of that harmonica. And then I played it at every show for like, three years until it had no signatures on it and didn't work anymore. I was going to say how the signatures taste. <laughs> no, they're gone. So that, that whole thing is gone. But Tyler actually played it before he signed it, you know, played a little Steven Tyler harmonica thing. He gave it to me and I was like, Oh, that's so great. Thank you, mister. <laughs> okay. Anybody else like to say anything? Um, your week, uh, anything happen? It's like watching three fucking like frontal lobotomized fucking mental patients stare at me. Like, did uh, anything happen what? in your lives? You're like, nope. Let's see. Look, we go out into the world and interact with society. So you, what happened? You, you stay in your house and you're fucking neurotic. And I always have a great story. And I don't even, I'm just up here fucking doing nothing. Yeah. What happened? And, and all your great stories happened <laughs> 30 years ago. No, they don't they happen <laughs> in this house. Those stories suck. All right. So no one has anything to say. How was well, Saturday? Sure, I, I, oh, say. I, I, I got laid off from my job yesterday. So, <laughs> oh, uh, that sucks. <laughs> so, That's wow. awesome. Well, well, no, I've I've been there for three years, and I hated every minute of it. So I'm happy to be free. <laughs> and uh, when you said laid off, does that mean unemployment? Yes. Oh, dude, goddamn right. The- Fucking when that happens, it is magical. So this is going to be winter of Dave, like just sleeping in, eating gummies, fucking collecting unemployment. Yes. Or or oh, you know, job God. searching and and uh, you know keeping up on my guitar skills. I've had a couple of nice runs on unemployment that were just the most magical times of my life. Nice. Ed, come out here, oh. come out here and be a music teacher and uh, gig on the strip, man. You'll nice. make a fortune. Sweet. Yeah, uh, these street yeah. musicians have been taking beatings lately. I don't think I'm going to hang out on these corners. Not street musicians, man. Ed, how many bands do we see just in the corner of little bars in the in the casinos oh, in there that God. were pretty good? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Tons a lot, of bands. A lot Phenomenal of, A lot of bands. good stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm hoping to win a fortune today on DraftKings. Uh, okay, <laughs> so that's it. No other stories? Uh, I got a gig tonight, if that counts. Yeah, what are you playing? Sweet. Um, playing at a bar down the street called Lucky Sevens that I really wish would install some sound dampening things because it's a lot of concrete and steel and it is a sound echo chamber. 
<laughs> it sounds wonderful. Oh, it's oh, tough. Man. It's tough. Okay, so if you like good music with a horrible sound, go see Ed tonight. Yeah, Fee. because this is coming out next week. <laughs> okay. okay. No, it'll be out. No, it'll be out. It'll be out. Yeah. In yeah. time for people to get to your uh, to your gig. Fee, don't leave us hanging. Something had to happen in your life this week that's interesting. Uh, it, things happen every day. I just can't talk about them because I would be fired from my job. So. Oh. Ah, okay. Okay. I want to know some of this stuff off the air. Let's continue on. Um, track number five, SOS too bad. So this is closer to a finished Aerosmith song for me. Um, has a couple of great vocal hooks, like mm, the ones that I expect from Steven Tyler, the production on this song. It's really good. And the lyrics on this one are so fucking dirty. This is Joe dirty. I love it. I love this track. Dave. This song is classic Aerosmith. It uh, reminds me of some of the material on their later albums like Draw the Line and Night in the Ruts. Uh, nice descending guitar and bass lines. Great solo. The song was written by Steven Tyler, who had to be convinced by the producer. We talked about this a little bit. Uh, he had to be convinced by the producer to use his real singing voice on this album instead of the put-on voice used on most of the first Aerosmith album used due to his nervousness uh apparently just like he was nervous during the recording of the first album and he sort of you know had this uh, you know pe people say oh you know he was trying to sound english or something but it, it kind of sounded like kermit the frog and mm. he he sounded like that on every song of the first album except for dream on i think it was in his book that he said you know like that was his song his baby and he you know, use his real voice for that. But the rest of the album was kind of, eh. um, yeah. So here they're, they're kind of bringing it out of him a little more to, to do his, his thing. Yeah. I love this song. Man, Dave. So it just occurred to me, if you were playing and draw the line as Joe Perry, you got to have some tasty chops. Uh, I, I like to think so. <laughs> That's not an easy gig. I mean, you're playing some really no. good 70s guitar mm -hmm. in that band. Yep. And that's not really what you're known for. You're known for more of being like a uh, like, mm, rocker, like 80s kind of like gritty rocker. That's, I mean, that's what <laughs> I always fancied you as. More of like a sure. pop rock like guy and not like a 70s classic lead player. But if you were doing Joe Perry, then you obviously are. Yeah, tip yeah. my hat to you, sir. <laughs> Thank you, Ed. Uh, you're playing next week, aren't you, Dave? Next week, I believe so. Yeah, next weekend. I think it's. Um... Thank you. Yeah, I think I was. I was going to try to drive out to the center of the state to see you. Thank you for the plug. It's uh, Saturday, February twenty fourth at Greendale's, which I believe is in Worcester. Oh, and what music would you be hearing if we were showing up to this show? This is going to be 80s metal. We're playing with uh, Sunset Strippers. Okay, so this is uh, cover songs from the 80s metal era. Yeah, and, and okay, 70s. Cool. And you switch on and off guitar and bass. Uh, yeah, mostly guitar. I play okay. a couple songs on bass. Cool. And the singer, good? Uh, the singer's great. It's uh, Dougie Payne from Touch Too Much. Oh, cool. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I hate when I go see a, a cover band and the singer can't hit the notes and doesn't, like, I just, 
Oh, like a half-assed singer in a cover band. Not good. Not Dude, good. What, when was the last time you left your house to see a band, Des? Um, actually, my old bass player, Todd Harvey, plays in an 80s cover band called um, Fast Times. And they play everywhere. Like, uh, I last time I saw them was at the um, Twin River Casino. And, oh, man, these guys are fucking good, man. These guys are fucking good. And I'll leave the house to go to the casino anytime, guys. But that's it. <laughs> uh, oh, okay. nice. All hey. right. So, SOS, too bad. Another great song. Uh, Tyler is such an amazing lyricist. Uh, his melodies, flow, and lyrics are unique and feel so natural. He is truly one of a kind when it comes to that. Uh, this song is another different sounding song, but not straying off their sound too much. Uh, I also like the introduction of the backing vocal harmonies at the end of the song, because this is the first time I noticed harmonies <laughs> or even backing vocals of any kind so far on this album. But honestly, we're five songs in, and I feel like it's five different completely independent sounding songs. 100% dude. Yeah, no, 100% with that. Definitely. Fee, we got yeah, D Dave, I'm glad you brought that thing up with Steven Tyler's voice because, you know, when I, I was reading about that as well and I went back and listened to their first album and mm -hmm. it's noticeable when you go back to this one for sure. Oh, yeah. Um, and this was one of the tracks I, I in my notes wrote about this where you can really hear the difference in the voice from this this song to that first first album. It's really good. It wasn't quite a playlist for me, but it's a really good song. I enjoyed the song, um, but I, I just enjoyed the other ones a lot more, so. Yeah. And that thing you said is kind of a double-edged sword though here with every song sounding different because yeah, I like that idea, but they're kind of missing the Aerosmith formula. So it doesn't feel like, it doesn't feel like Aerosmith every single time. And some of them are not great performances. Like, I, I don't disagree with you, but I think they sound enough like Aerosmith and I think Aerosmith has enough variety like it wasn't until you got friggin' amazing and crazy where you're like, wait, are those two different songs? Cause they are the exact same song. Yes. Yeah. You know, yes, you yes, hear yes. this album, you're like, you can't even, you know, other than it sounds like Steven Tyler and the tones are all Aerosmith. These songs are all completely different in my opinion. Yeah. Maybe if they recorded this exact album, you know, two albums later and, you know, just done a little bit of writing before then, I think this would have been a better album. And I think that this, um, this variety would have worked a little bit better for me. Okay. Uh, track six came train kept a rolling. Oh, come on guys. I mean, what am I going to say? I fucking love these guitars. I love the groove. I love the tune. Tyler spinning the dirty tail. It's fucking slinky as fuck. This is a winner of my book. Train kept rolling. Oh, just classic Aerosmith. Yes, please. Dave. Uh, the song was first recorded by American jazz and rhythm and blues musician Tiny Bradshaw in 1951. Uh, Steven Tyler, as well as uh, Joe Perry and Tom Hamilton, had all played the song in their pre-Aerosmith bands. It opens with a guitar sounding like a train whistle. Steve Hunter uh, from... You know, uh, Alice Cooper band fame plays the guitar solos in the first part of the song. Accounts differ if the band's guitarists weren't around or if they were having trouble coming up with something. Uh, but the producer pulled Steve Hunter in to take a few passes at the song. Shortly, it was all done. Uh, the live section was simulated using added audience noise and reverb. 
Dick Wagner plays a solo in the second half. And if you really listen to the guitars on the whole album, you can definitely hear something's up. The guitar in this song is is kind of more skillful and, and a little, you know, better touch than most of the other songs. You know, Joe and Brad were okay at this point, but not quite up to the task of being as great as they would later become. Hmm. Interesting take. Yeah. Ed. Yeah, it, it's it's amazing that you don't realize, and, and not anyone specifically, how many songs are cover songs that people took, made some tweaks, and kind of did their own version of it. And this is a great example of it. Aerosmith was one of the first bands I remember interviewed saying how important it is to include covers in your music. Because um, it helps people recognize your music it starts to give it a, oh, I've heard this before, because you're playing something that they've heard before, then throwing in one of your songs, and it gets a familiarity with it, and people get comfortable with it. Uh, and I just think that it's a brilliant way when they went through that whole interview of how to really build up yourself if you're trying to be an original band. Uh, so kudos to them. And this is just, I mean... Who doesn't love this version of Train Kept a Rolling? It's unbelievable. They killed it. They just, they turned it in their own. They made it what it is. And I don't think I've ever heard another version of it uh, other than this. So, yeah, it's great. Yeah, agree with everything you said. Some great guitar tones on this too, man. That opening. Oh, yeah. Gives me chills. Fee, what do you got? Well, like Des said a lot last week, this song fucks. Playlist. Mm. That's mm. all I got. It does. It slaps hard. Dude, are mm-hmm. you guys familiar with the uh, the history of the frontal lobotomy? Holy oh shit, dude, dude! Yes, we are. The guy, guy well, the guy was a neurologist. He didn't. He wasn't even a surgeon. He had a buddy that was a brain surgeon. So they invented this thing, but he wanted to take it on the road to mental hospitals and just perform it without any anesthesiologists and stuff. So he invented this little technique where he would take an ice pick, he'd slide it over your eyeball and fucking take a little fucking like nut hammer and tap it into your frontal global and pull it out <sighs> while they had you strapped to a table and that was the fucking procedure and this was okay it's archaic I, it blew my mind that this was going on in modern times what the fuck and then he started getting cocky and doing two at a time and like killing people because he was just an idiot <laughs> oh, so I, bet I, could perform, I, think, I think I could perform that surgery on myself I think I, you should try. Track <laughs> <laughs> seven, seasonal weather. So if you don't love this song, you've had a frontal lobotomy. You're dead inside. You're a moron. It's beautiful. Vocal delivery, emotional. Uh, the simple guitar picking. I can hear this song like in other bands that I love, like Mother Love Bone. Like, I'm hearing the influence from these bands that I love coming directly from this song. This is a beautiful piece of music. I love it. Dave, you got Yeah, it opens with uh, some wind noises. Uh, it was written by Steven Tyler on a guitar rescued from the dumpster. 
According to him, the song was inspired by the Massachusetts landscape in wintertime when he lived mm. in a farmhouse with Joey Kramer. And uh, yeah, that that's what it feels like in Boston. Yeah, yeah I'm pretty sure we can all attest in the great. Yeah. yeah, that's winter. Um, <laughs> the song has been resurrected as a live staple among Aerosmith shows in the 2000s after not being played much on tours in the late 80s and 90s. Lots of guitar layers, including slide guitar fills and a 12-string guitar in the middle section. Pretty good. Nice. Ed, you love this song? Just a little bit. Uh, <laughs> oh my God, do I love this song. The solo acoustic guitar in the beginning with the wind blowing and then you hear the electric guitar start to double it slightly just before it kicks in. It is just phenomenal. Phenomenal. It's another completely different sounding song. Uh, and it's honestly the most hypnotic song on the record. Uh, I love how Tyler sings ever so slowly and stretches each syllable out as he sings a verse. It's, it's, oh, it, it blew my mind when I first heard it. Uh, and then you listen to the drums and it's a very Ringo pattern, you know, almost like almost a ticket to ride almost type boom, back up, boom, back, you know, mm. it's just so cool. And then the way the song transitions through the bass guitar, uh, I really just personally love because I love it. It's like he's the verse, he's playing whole notes, real long, slow notes. Then he starts in the pre-chorus, he starts adding some half note patterns in there. And then it builds, he's doing the build on eighth notes, and then it goes right back down. It just, it, I feel like it almost, it feels like it's speeding up, yet it isn't. And that's what's so great about it. Uh, it just takes you on this ride. And the haunting, haunting vocal harmonies from Tyler, uh, they just grab you. It, this is honestly, this is like a work of art. Yeah. Ed, you nailed it with that timing thing, too. We talk about it from time to time, how some songs, the hook is in the timing. And it, this one, I mean, the hook is everywhere, but that time it's your own heart. Oh, no. Oh, my God. It, gra <laughs> it grabs you. You just like. Like it gives you chills almost. It I I wiped a tear away this morning. Fee, what do you got? Were you trying to give yourself a frontal lobotomy? Or <laughs> no? <laughs> Wiping a tear away. <laughs> uh, obviously I love this song and glad I, I, Ed, I'm glad you brought up the the haunting like harmonies there. And I I never really got that just listening on the in the car on the way to work, you know? But when I put on the headset, it it's captivating. Like oh, it brought it's, me it's right in. So yeah. fucking good. Uh, yeah. Total playlist. I love it. Uh, one of the things I read too is, uh, you know, of all the ballads and songs like this, that, that Aerosmith does over the years that Joe Perry says, this is his uh, favorite one. So, wow. Which is pretty cool considering it's on their second album out of like 30, you know? So. Yeah. I agree, man. Wow. What a great song. Yeah. So this is it. We've come to the final track on this album. It is called Pandora's Box. Not sure this was a great end for this album. Seeing there were only really three songs on it that are even recognizable to most people. Kind of wish they had chose one of those three for the final track and spaced them out front, middle, end to kind of tie this album together. People think Pandora's box. You're thinking the box that everybody got, you know, that's Pandora's box. Nobody knows there's a fucking song called Pandora box. Like your average dickwad. Um, it's a great song. It's not overly catchy, but it's cool. I mean, it's just cool rock and roll. It's got that nice sprinkled piano and, you know, keys. It's got everything. It's nice, but eh, 
you know, I could take it or leave it. Dave, what do you got? Uh, that clarinet heard at the start of the track is a union engineer playing I'm in the mood for love for some mm. reason. Uh, the song was written by <laughs> lead singer Steven Tyler and Joey Kramer. Also on the famous dumpster guitar this season's that seasons of wither was written on uh this song has only was only played live throughout the early mid to mid 70s and has never been played again so far according to what i read first time it was played live was september 14th 1973 at the box club in boston Uh, the song's okay it seems to have some rough edges like a few of the songs on this album very strange ending (laughs) interesting (laughs) Ed, what do you got on this one? Oh, my God. I don't even want to know what's going on. My fucking cat is spread eagle on my brand new couch, licking his ass like I'm wondering if he got like shit on his foot or something in the box. Oh, my God. You need to not do edibles. Does he have on your your Oculus? Holy shit. (laughs) (laughs) What? What Is he wearing your Oculus? No, but he, (laughs) he looks, I don't know. Take it easy. Go ahead. I, I think Des would be happy if he was able to put on his Oculus spread eagle and lick his own asshole. He's a, he's a very clean <laughs> cat, so I'm just curious to what's going on while he's uh, going to work. All right. Pandora's Box. Yeah, it's, it's a generic blues rock song. It really doesn't do much for me. I like the chorus of the song, and the music's kind of cool, but it's, yeah, it's very not a great song to end. You know, I wish they didn't open Pandora's box. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Holy shit. Uh, Fee, what do you got on Pandora's box? Not a whole lot. I I mean, I kind of like the song. I liked it a lot more with the headset on than just listening over the, you know, over the car stereo. But um, really the only thing I didn't like about it was the way you just does that repetitive just for me coming out of the chorus. I thought that was a little (sighs) wanky. I don't know. I didn't really like that too much. But I felt that the bass kind of came through in that part really good. Like I thought that was some solid music behind it, but but just yeah. okay, a good song. Yeah, Not it needed great. more production and it needed more words. Like specifically, yeah. it just needed more words. All right, that's it. So we broke it down. Um, we do have a bonus track this week. The bonus track. <laughs> and it is sent to us by one. Colt Sievers of the Los Angeles area. Colt writes, when I'm not falling from tall buildings or crashing brand new cars, I'm listening to Breaking Vinyl. I'd love to hear you guys break down Ziggy Stardust by the great David Bowie. I mean, come on, guys. This is the opening guitar riff that I wish I wrote. (laughs) It's amazingly simple. It's dangerously catchy. David Bowie delivers a timeless, iconic vocal. This 100-watt song. That's all I have to say, Dave. What do you got? <laughs> all right. Yes, Love Bowie. This is one of my favorite tracks from him. Uh, Ziggy was his early 70s alter ego with a shockingly red mullet. Uh, yeah. Pretty simple instrumentation, drums, bass, electric, and acoustic guitar, and vocal. Great bass playing, multi-layered guitars, and some doubled vocal parts. This is an all-time classic, 98 watts. Nice. How many times have you played a riff similar and thought you just wrote the greatest song and then you go, oh, fuck, that's fucking Ziggy Stardust. God damn it. (laughs) So close. Okay, Ed. (laughs) Yeah, the song, it's it's just such an iconic opening. Uh, The guitar chord is beautiful. Uh, The lyrics, the bass, guitar, drums, rhythm guitar, lead guitar, 
are all a masterclass on how to play off each other and lift the other instruments to another level. The active bass line with the continuous lead guitar behind everything is just pure gold. One of my all-time favorite songs. Yeah, I also gave it a 98.3 watts. Nice. Fee, what do you got? Dang. Uh, I wish I liked this song as much as you guys. I love the song, but I, I just couldn't find myself going that high because I, I think I like 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 Changes Bowie and that stuff better than the Ziggy Stardust days of Bowie. But uh, love the song. I give it 90, 90 watts. My favorite Bowie is, you know, Let's Dance. Those are, you know. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm talking about. These Mm -hmm. are my, like, that's what I think. But this is maybe his greatest song. I mean, it's so good. It's it's close. Ed, calculate those goals, please. Mr. Jinx. My cat's name is (laughs) Mr. Jinx. What are you doing? God. (laughs) Mr. Jinx is making a puddle over there of spit. Oh. God. All right. Uh, Spit. That's what we're calling it now. Okay. Wow. Uh, um. <laughs> oh, that that's, yeah. Okay. I got something for you guys. Hang on. Last night I was sitting, I was watching TV, and I've got this really nice soft blanket that I put over my couch, and I had gotten up for something. I put my hand into, like, some wet, sticky substance, and I smelled it. And it was so sour. I don't know. And I don't eat up here, which is weird. Like it's a, like you would imagine I'm bizarrely anal and clean. So this room is, there's no dirt allowed. There's no food allowed. So nothing allowed. So you guys know. Was it I, leftover bodily fluids from I, the oh, Oculus? Oh, I don't know. I rushed it immediately downstairs to the washroom for my wife. <laughs> um, do you guys know, the, have puke. you heard of, you guys heard of the murder dolls? It was uh, the murder Corey dolls? from yeah Corey from oh, yeah. Slipknot yeah. sideband. Okay, so the guitar player, uh, I'm sorry, not the guitar, the bass player Eric, was in town last week. So he came over to my house, right? <laughs> and he comes with a fucking steak and cheese sub, and he brings it up to my room, and he's oh. eating this fucking stinky steak and cheese sub in my room. And I'm like, dude, what the fuck is stinking my room up? And yeah, I was not happy with the steak and cheese sub in my space. So, you know, let's keep going. Sorry. No food allowed. (laughs) No food allowed. All right. Good to know. (laughs) And then he whipped my ass at Madden football and went back to California. So there it is. That's my story with Eric. from the. All right. Well, to get back on topic, (laughs) Ziggy Stardust by David Bowie is pushing a very rock solid Almost perfect. 96.57 watts. Oh, I like it. Where does that land it on the Breaking Vine Wall of Fame, Mr. Dave? That means we have a new number one on the bonus track chart. Ziggy Stardust is nice. number one, followed by Queen's Fat Bottom Girls. Oh, this is so much better than Queen's Fat Bottom Girls, which is an no. amazing song, but this is much better. Yeah. Ed, you happy with that placement? Uh, I'm okay with it. I prefer Fat Bond Girls, but I also love the song, so I think it's fine. I think it's it's going to be one of those, what am I in the mood to hear? Right. What, yep. are, the, what are the two scores, yep. Dave? How much further is this ahead? Uh, Ziggy Stardust is 96.58, uh, according to my chart, and uh, Queen Fat Bottom Girls is 94.95. Ooh, so there's a little room there for a number two to squeak in or a number one to squeak in. It's not, it's not set in stone. <clears throat> sure. Okay. Um, 
let's do some quick uh, bullshit. <laughs> My favorite song, same old song and dance. <laughs> <laughs> quick bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> song I cut. Women of the world. Oh, I spelled it with an A here, so I did it both ways. So woman of the world, uh, that's the song I'm going to cut. Uh, I would remove Joey Kramer from this band, and I would replace him with one Roger Taylor of Queen. Nice. There you go. Dave, we got Favorite track, Lord of the Thighs. It is kick-ass. There's several hot tracks on this album, but this is my favorite. I would cut Spaced. It's not developed enough. I don't dig the lyrics. This one needed to go back in the oven for a while. And I would replace, um, actually not one member, but two members. Uh, sorry, Joe and Brad. Uh, I'm going to replace you with Dick Wagner and Steve Hunter. They had like your licks. <laughs> Uh, and, and these guys just weren't quite developed into the monster guitar players they became later. Uh, big fan of Joe Perry and Brad Whitford, but uh, you know, they, they just weren't quite ready to go yet. I, nice. Nice. Uh, Ed, uh, I'm going to change my cut song also to Spaced, for the record. Ed, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, favorite track? Same old song and dance. Uh, what track would I cut? would be pandora's box it is just uh yeah i just didn't like it <laughs> yeah uh i would also replace joey kramer does but i would like to see what ginger baker would bring to this band hmm i like it i like it a lot a lot i like it a lot fee what do you got <laughs> so my favorite track was Woman of the World. I thought that was, I don't know, I found myself getting into that the most all week. Uh, got a cut spaced. Uh, I went with replacing, and I don't want to replace anybody, guys. Don't get me wrong. Like, I, I don't, but. Me too. I, uh, I felt someone a little more funkier on the bass, so replacing Tom Hamilton with uh, John Paul Jones. Ooh. Yeah. Mm, getting edgy there. I, I find they're very similar. So, yeah, I think it's good work. Good fit. I just, I listened to a few Zeppelin songs after, and I found that there was just a little more pop to it than, uh, you know, than what uh, Hamilton brought on this album. But I don't know. What do I know? But, <laughs> yeah. I think if you all took five milligrams of gummy at like 1130, you would enjoy the show more. You would enjoy my personality more. <laughs> <laughs> so, everybody out there, yeah. here, here's what you do. Yeah, ninety minutes before you listen to the podcast, pop an edible. Okay, okay. Um, all right, let's do some quick final thoughts, some scores, and we'll put this bitch to bed. Uh, any Aerosmith album is a great Aerosmith album, including this one. But in the catalog of Aerosmith, this is a mid to backpacker at best. Uh, with Toys in the Attic being the number one Aerosmith album for me, because it possesses "Sweet Emotion," the greatest Aerosmith song of all times. Just my opinions. Uh, this album is pushing 73.7 watts. Yes. Dave, what do you got? It's raw. It's dirty. Six out of, out of eight of the songs are all-time Aerosmith classics. Unfortunately, the other two are kind of stinkers. They didn't uh, quite have the polish and chops yet, but you can definitely hear the progression to their later work. It's definitely good and worth owning. I score it at 75. I originally had 75.7, but I feel like I just always go too high. So I went 73. Okay. Ed, what do you got? Well, Aerosmith is not shitty enough for you to score them that high because you only score really fucking bad bands at like 90 plus. Dude, I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, I just gave LA Guns like a 90. 
It's fucking whatever the fuck it was that I'm giving Get Your Wings a 73 point. Oh, my God. What a loser. What am I doing on a music show? Uh, uh, I'm a little surprised Dave was... Dave was dead on with his description. Uh, I agree fully. I think this is a great Aerosmith album in the fact that uh, both Des and, and Dave describe it's it's the rough version of what became the immortal Aerosmith. And I think that's something that I personally appreciate. I think Dave was a little harsh with his score compared to his description of, you know, 75, uh, I was kind of, I thought you'd be like low eighties, uh, but silly me. Uh, I gave this 84.6 Watts. Nice. Hey, what do you got? Yeah. I, I'm surprised. I'm going to come in at the highest on this because I, uh, I, wow. I love this album. I did not get sick of it all week. I was, I was just enjoying it and going, and I think, Ed, we had this conversation before, like Aerosmith's one of those bands when they're on, I absolutely love them, but I hardly ever play them, you know? And yeah. and, and I'm sitting there like, why do I never play these guys? They're so fucking good. Yeah. I gave this album 86 watts. Wow. Those are high scores. I feel like I came in a little low. I think my 75.7 would have been more appropriate, but can't change it now. So, Ed, calculate those scores and tell us how many watts this album is pushing. All right. Aerosmith, get your wings is pushing a very, very respectable 79.82 watts. I think it's right where it belongs. I wouldn't want this to be in the 80s. Not quite there. And I, they, I think it's an 80, maybe 81 average score. I could give it that. 79 to 81, I'm fine. Dave, where does that land it? On the brain vinyl charts. That will put it at number 17, just under Motley Crue's Shout at the Devil. And just over kisses rock and roll over. Mmm, interesting. This because because kiss rock and roll over is reminds terrible. me. It reminds me of this album. It's an un kind of unrefined, weird version of kiss with sure, sort yeah. of incomplete demo type songs. So rock. I like that. I like that a lot. All right. Um. So next week, Dave has the pick. Correct. That's yes. what I thought. Okay. <laughs> Dave, what album will we be listening to all week? Well, for this next one, I'm going a little outside the box for us, but it is known as one of the best albums of all time. It is What's Going On by Marvin Gaye. What's nice. Going On by Marvin Gaye? <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah. I love it. Okay. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Okay, and uh, I'm guessing that Ed will replace Marvin Gaye with Perry Feldman, Jason Dixon, or something. Whatever. Definitely not. Definitely not. <laughs> it's funny because uh, I was I was gonna pick a, a Motown record next. That's so funny. Nice, funny. Beat me to um, it. <laughs> so we did uh, Heat on our sister podcast, Breaking Vinyl. I'm sorry. Uh, hey, did you ever see that movie? Uh, so if you like that, you like that movie, go over there and check it out. I recast the entire movie at the end with some genius picks. Oh, gives me chills just thinking about it. I should be a director. So that's it. Until next time, take the albums out of the sleeve and let the music breathe. See you later. <laughs> See you. Bye-bye. <laughs> oh. Later. Fee somehow always fucking uh, slips that later in. <laughs> oh.